Sanctuary City. Um, my name is Bunty Gia, and to the left of me here is Jess Leonard. Uh, we serve the Grace City um, Children's Ministry, and a few of our readers this morning is going to be Camden, Ileana, and Adeline. Um, but first, we want to, well, Jess will um, say a little testimony. Good morning, Grace City. Um, I've been thinking about this season, and one of my favorite Christmas songs, I don't know if we've sung it yet, Paula, um, is, it goes, the thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, and I think we can all say that um, there's a lot of weariness right now, I know I feel it, but I've stepped back and said, there's a lot to rejoice to, and when I think of that, I think we've had another year of in-person and virtual children's programming, the youth is on fire meeting in person on Saturday nights. Yes, celebrate. Um, we have had our wonderful, faithful leader, Emily, for years get married, and then Bunty stepping in to lead the rest of the year. And I just continue to be in awe and thankful for people to step in and serve these children. But what I just continue to rejoice on is that each week I get to see worship. I get to see verses being memorized. I get to see the wonder and the all of Christ through these children's eyes. So as we think about the new year, I am just in anticipation of what God can do, how he can grow us as adults through what um, Christ is doing for the next generation. So I just encourage you to continue to pray for this ministry, for the kids, to serve, and just um, continue to know that God is in this ministry and in this church. So with that, why don't we read the scripture, girls? John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and through the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but he his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those belie who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children, children born not of natural descent, nor human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The world became flesh and made of, of his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of one, of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word of the Lord.
Let's sing this chorus, yeah. Jesus, we join in. Oh, how we love him. joy it is to be together with all of you this morning. Uh, Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. As a matter of fact, let me say Merry Christmas. You say it back, okay? Merry Christmas. It's time to get into that joy of the season. Corey was talking this morning. We heard in that testimony just now. Uh, there's been losses and joys this week alone, much less this, this, this past year. Um, but we have this human capacity that God has given us to hold it all at the same time with the knowledge of something so substantial, so powerful, that it can put it all in a context that gives great joy, even in the biggest losses. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Thanks so much to the worship team. Can we just hear it for the worship team? This season they have, they have uh, practiced and rehearsed and brought... like I. It was another one of those Sundays, Paula, when I felt like between the worship and the Adeline and Ileana and Camden reading this morning, I don't really need to preach, right? I mean, there's so much power in what we just heard. But um, I'm going to preach anyway because, you know, that's what I do. But, uh, but let's, let's pray. And if you would, uh, even as we pray, go ahead and use that time to, to, to uh, focus your attention on the Lord, uh, and open your Bibles uh, on your phones or wherever you have them. Open your Bibles at home uh, to John chapter 1, and that will stand you in good stead. Um, at home, you'll see some of the slides come up on the screen. You're at, at an advantage there. Here, you'll need your Bibles in front of you to stay with us this morning. So let's pray together. Take a moment of silence. Just ask the Lord to empower your heart, mind, and soul to focus on him this morning, to give you everything you need under heaven, every spiritual gift you need, to have your heart be lifted and changed for his sake. Choose to worship, Grace City. Father, we thank you this morning that we can gather. What a fraught season it is in the world to gather, and yet you brought us here this morning online, here in this place with a whole lot of people sitting under an airplane and sitting in view of the Baltimore Harbor. What a gorgeous setting. Lord, we're grateful. Uh, but over all that, we're so grateful that you are in our midst. You are the beautiful one. More beautiful than anything around us, you are the beautiful one. And we thank you this season for the birth of your son given so that we might live. We pray in this in Jesus' name and all the Lord's people said... Amen. Amen. Buckle in, and let's have a good time getting after the scriptures this morning. This is a day of celebration, so keep those Bibles open. And I want to thank, thanks again to the Advent Lighting and the worship team, but, but even as we do that, let me back up, back up for a minute. One of the most troubling experiences 
in the experience of any follower of Christ, Tim, as they journey in faith with him, is, is at times when times are tough, one of the great troubling things is the apparent remoteness of God, right? When God seems distant, when God seems unreal, maybe even aloof, with no sense of proximity. And then, in the midst of that, you may have had someone ask you, in the midst of a natural disaster, like we have pretty much weekly. Last week, the tornadoes that ripped through 200 plus miles of, of some of the poorest counties in America and did so much damage. You might, you might have someone ask you in the midst of, of the 15 shootings in 24 hours in Baltimore this weekend. You might have someone ask you when times are at their worst, you might have a non-believer or maybe even a believer who's on the edge ask you, where is your God now? And that's a troubling question for us, isn't it? Troubling question. Where is he in the midst of ongoing violence? Where is he in the midst of disaster? And I believe, church, that it's a good question to visit on our own terms at Christmas. Because the Christmas story is about the nearness of God. Amen? It's what it's all about. Now, the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they each have a distinctive approach to Christmas. Right? They have their own unique way of telling the story, their own unique perspective to share, and a hope to offer. Now, for Mark, the Christmas arrives in the wilderness as we join John, John the Baptist. And if that's the only story we had, our Christmas meal would be made of locusts and wild honey. Thank God we have four Gospels. Now, Ma Matthew hosts a big family reunion, and he pulls out the, the genealogy of his family and the family tree, and he wants to remind us that we've been adopted by God. Luke invites us to come inside and hold the baby, and it can be scary to hold a baby if you're not used to it. It can be scary, right? But John, John's gospel is completely different than the rest, which explains Sue, why there are no Christmas pageants based on John's account. You see, the stories of Matthew and Luke tell, they're full of things you can put costumes on. Shepherds and angels and wise men and sheep. Sheep aren't bad. Sorry, I had to do that once this year. So, was... so those Gospels are full of great things for staging. You have a stable and a manger and a guiding star overhead, and we love them because they're things you can, you can put away. They come out of storage once a year, and we can pause for a while and enter the, the glow of a long-ago holy night, and all was calm and all was bright as we just sang. And those stories let us admire the baby, right, and, and enjoy the children before we head back out into the world that is fraught with danger and with darkness. But unlike his gospel neighbors, John, he won't tell us a story, and he won't read us a genealogy. There's no Bethlehem in John's account. There's no holy family bending over a makeshift cradle. There's not even a baby in this story because John's nativity begins long before that. In the beginning, he begins the same way Genesis does. It begins with the big bang of God's word, bringing the world into being one word at a time. And I think... I'm drawn to this birth narrative in John more than any of the others these days, for me personally, because it sort of mirrors the things I like to do these days, to do best, to do most these days. You see, John is in his early 90s as he writes his gospel. It's 50 years past. 
50 plus years past the death of Christ on the cross and, and rising from the grave. He's in his elder years, and he wants to have a conversation alongside that troubling question that I opened with a minute ago. He wants to talk about where is your God when things are hard. He wants a long, honest conversation about it in his gospel. He wants to sip Cabernet or maybe warm cider if you prefer, and, and he wants to debate the fate of the world and the purpose of human beings and the, and the ways of God in this world. And the reason I'm drawn to this, Mary Lou, you probably know, is because I, I love to, once the grandkids are in bed, I love to sit around with my now adult children and sip warm cider and talk about the ways of the world and how to grow it and change it and make a difference in the world. I love those long post-dinner conversations. And this is where John takes us this morning. All right, can you go there with him? Now let's begin where he begins, and I'm going to call it the wonder of the beginning, the wonder of the beginning. Look once more at God's word in your laps there or at home on the screen as it calls to us from the beginning of the gospel according to John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. You heard it read, so I won't read it again, but this is John's Christmas story. Don't lose that. When John says in the beginning, we wonder, where exactly does he intend to start? Where's he going? Where's he beginning? And it turns out that John is not one for half measures. He wants to rewind our imaginations all the way back, all the way back before humans existed, back before the dinosaurs tromped around, back before planets orbited the sun, back before anything that might make sense to our limited minds. And it's magical when you get into it. In the beginning, at the moment of creation, says John, there was a radiance and a sound and word, and life, and light, and it's all pre-existence in this person of Jesus Christ. Before the earth, God was speaking word, and life, and light, and it's all there in those first five verses. All of it good, because all of it identifies Jesus. He is the logos, the word. Are you with me? But he's also in these verses, he is the zoe, the life. He is the phos, the light. He's word and life and light in this text. All of it refers to Jesus. Last week we broke it down about light. Go back and see that if you get a chance. But so, so as John's Christmas story begins, he invites us to ponder the cosmic implications of all of this. And he says, sip your wine. We're sitting around. We're going to talk about this. This is magical stuff. But that's where Christmas finds its footing. Jesus is word and life and light, and that's where it all begins. And as profoundly galactic as all of this is, Mark, John's Christmas story is still only in the prologue. Mark, you know about prologues. You've written prologues. There is, there is much more to be said beyond the prologue, and the best is yet to come. John is foreshadowing, church, the biggest wonder of them all. The moment of this spectacular, all this spectacular revelation has been leading to. Now, he goes a bit further in verses 10 to 12. Do you see it? Look at 10 to 12 on your screen and look at it here. Do you see it? The light that is Jesus was coming. He was in the world. The world did not recognize him, life, word, light. Even though he came to his own, his creation, they did not receive him. And the evidence in the Gospel of John is, is abundant in the subsequent chapters as he goes through dialogues and conversations and interactions and events. He makes all of this quite clear in the next 20 chapters. But now, now here there's something else. Because listen, to those who did receive him, you see it in verse 12? 
He gave the right to become children of God. Wow. It's huge. It's great news for all of us. And I'm going to come back to that at the end. But there's something else we need to know first. There's something else we need to know first. All of this we get so far. It's kind of, it fits with our concept of who God is. But the greatest gift, the greatest gift is still to come. And it's one that we don't quite get. And before we unwrap it, let me ask you. Let me ask all of you here and all of you at home. What do you want for Christmas? Yvonne, what do you want for Christmas? Mark, what do you want for Christmas? Rashima, what do you want for Christmas? I know, I, know what, I know at this moment many of you haven't even given it much thought as you spend time on lists for your loved ones. You've given that a lot thought, but maybe not yourself. But it's time, Bob. It's time, Jen. Give yourself a little bit of thought. What do you want? Put, put your lists for others on hold for a moment. Ask yourself, what do you really want for Christmas, Lil? What do you want? I know what some of the young parents at Gray City want. They want one night of unbroken sleep. I know... I know there's others who just desire to have a child. They would give up all their sleep if just a child could come to them. I know there are some singles here who would love to have a match made for them in heaven, as it were. I know some friends who would love to have a job that means something where they could leave their mark on the world. I know members of our Grace City family who just want freedom from, from fears of illness and fears of death. And we all, all of us here want the iconic peace on earth, right? Peace here in Baltimore. We all want that. Who doesn't want that? Who wants peace in Baltimore? All of us want that. And we're working on that. But all of what we want may be an example, at least for some of us, of the disconnect there is between what you want and what you get. But let me push you this morning, Gracie. Let me push you online this morning. What is it? What is it? that can fill you with wonder so high, so big, that you might burst from the knowledge of it. And wise old 90-year-old, the Apostle John, answers that for all time. And it's my second point. I'm going to call it the wonder of wonders, which is our title this morning. And I submit to you, John 1, the first part of verse 14. I wonder how well you know it. Here it is. The Word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. Church, we just read the most outrageous and sensational sentence in history. No truth ever revealed confronts more, comforts more, matters more, unsettles more than the thought that the preexistent Son of God, word, life, and light that we just read about, became a human being and set up his tent among us. This is the one that answers my friends and your friends who would ask you in the midst of trouble, where is your God now? This is the one. Listen, there's a lot of important truths in the gospel, but they all depend on this truth. Are you with me? C.S. Lewis calls this verse the central miracle of Christianity. J.I. Packer calls it the supreme mystery of the gospel. The incarnation. That's the wonder of wonders that we're wondering at this morning. And John's point is clear. God became something he had never been without ceasing to be what he has always been. 
God became something he had never been without ceasing to be what he has always been. The Word became flesh. The light became a human life. The eternal God became a baby. It's a game changer of history. So what are, exactly are we talking about when we talk about incarnation? Literally, it means embodied or enfleshed. And we use that idea rarely, but, but with deep significance in our historical narratives, our, his, our frameworks. Sometimes we use it to describe heroes like William Wilberforce or Harriet Tubman, and we say they're the embodiment of courage. You may have heard it said, for instance, that Dr. King embodied justice, right? And, and his willingness to lay down his life for justice is the reason we celebrate his birthday to this day across America just next month. But it's more real even than these kinds of images. It's more real here in the scripture. Packer puts it this way about John's Christmas, and just stay with me because this is kind of highly theological, but this is Packer's word about this verse 14, the first part of 14. The concept here is not that the son put on a human body as one puts on an overcoat. It's not that a human being and a divine person live together under one skin. It's not that a divine person came to possess two natures, which he could switch on and off as he chose. It is rather the fir that first in Mary's womb and then in this world and now forever in heaven, the Son lives life in every way that constitutes humanity, bypassing none of it, without diminishing his divinity, he added to it all that is involved in being human. You can go back and reread that. Just look up Packer's word on the incarnation. But here it is again. The word became flesh. We've heard it so much that we cease to wonder about it, right? Not so for old John, the apostle John. He never, because he knew this so deeply, so profoundly, he never flinched at the question, where is your God when things got troubled? You see, John, John remembered 50 years prior, he remembered the wine party at Cana. And I want to ask, do you remember that? I, he, do you remember when the light reached into the dark tomb for Lazarus? Do you remember how he spoke into the darkness of the man who had lain by the pool for 38 years? Do you remember that? Do you remember how the Lagos fed 5,000 people? Do you remember the time he calmed a storm and then walked on the water? Do you remember when he walked on the water in the storm? Do you remember how the bread of life, life rode on the ground to deflect murderous attention away from the woman who'd been caught in adultery? Do you remember when he took you, Grace City, by the hand for the very first time and said, welcome to God's family. You have a seat at the table. Do you remember that? John remembers, and he wants us to remember as we gather around his Christmas table. This Christmas week, Grace City, will you remind one another? Look around the room for a minute. Go ahead. Swivel your heads around. Remind one another. When we, when we close today, stop and remind one another of the encouragement of being united with Christ, the comfort of his love, the fellowship of the Spirit. Will you remember the wonder that has never ceased, never fled, never left you alone, even in the biggest trouble? You see, Grace City, at Christmas, and, and probably all the time, but maybe particularly at Christmas, the market, the marketplace, it often persu persuades us that we don't have enough. But the community in Christ that we have reminds us that we do indeed have enough. In Christ, the Word became flesh. We have enough. Wow, that's the miracle. Because, 
Because now, now listen, here's the, the second half of this phrase, this, this game-changing history phrase. That's the cornerstone for our shared testimony. Here it is. He made his dwelling among us. Now listen, stay with me for a minute. The original root word here, skanau, which is from skia in Greek, can mean, are you with me? Both shelter and shadow. The word became flesh and made his shadow and shelter here. And in many ways, that's another sermon, Corey, that maybe we'll do next year. But, but perhaps it will serve you this, Christ, this Christmas to ponder both of those meanings. After all, in Psalm 91.1, the psalmist writes this at the very beginning. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Now, there's a lot going on there. And I invite you to just ponder that this Christmas season. But here, here the word denotes dwelt as in tabernacle or tent. And so often we translate this, he tented among us. He tabernacled among us. That's not a word we use a lot, but it's a word we use here. And many have supposed, and I think it's true insofar as it goes, that John means to say that the human body was a tabernacle. Jesus' human body was a tent uh, for the logos to abide in. And that's certainly one sense of it. I mean, after all, there's really nothing unusual about it. We, everyone, every one of us lives in a tent, so to speak. Our bodies are tents. Our bodies could be called earth suits, like the astronauts who have space suits designed to enable them to function in space. We have God-designed earth suits that are designed to enable us to function in the conditions found on this planet. Are you with me? And, and, and he did a great job. Thank God for these great suits that we have. Look at the end of verse 14 then, along this line. He dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So what caught John's attention here was the glory that he saw inside of the Jesus tent. Have you ever walked around a campground at night? Have, have you ever done this and you are outside all the tents, but it's late and everyone's gone inside and, and their lamps are inside the tent and you just see the, the glowing from inside? This is kind of the image I get from John here, is that he saw the glory glowing in the tent of Jesus Christ. I love that. That's a great image for me. But make no mistake, Grace City, wily old John the Apostle, after he had lived and walked with this word, light, life, after he had touched him and slept beside him and, and worked with him, he, he doesn't want us to miss the even bigger significance behind the phrase that Jesus tented or tabernacled or shadowed among us. He wants us to know the implications of what it means to have God in the flesh living in our midst. So in his later chapters in, in the gospel, John goes to great lengths to, to illustrate and demonstrate that he dwelt among us walking and eating and drinking and sleeping. He was with them for years. And you see it in his testimony in the first letter of John, in 1 John 1, he says, we saw him with our eyes, we looked upon him, where our hands handled him, the life appeared, and we have seen it, and we testify to it. Don't miss how important this is to the apostle John. So, Grace City, when John says Jesus dwelt with them, in this sense, his heart's desire, the desire of this 90-year-old apostle is to let you and me know that Jesus was and is one of the family, and we are one of his. So John shows us a seeking, rescuing God who has moved into the neighborhood, who has moved into your house. He says, you don't have to find him, Grace City Church. He's found you. He's come onto your street. He's in your house, and that's good news for somebody this morning, I'm quite sure. 
So in the midst of a natural disaster or ongoing violence, when some non-believing friend asks you, where is your God, will you tell them of the Jesus who lives in the neighborhood? Tell them the story of the word and the light and the life. Tell them of the cross and the grave and the empty tomb. Here's a thought that I had on Friday, Corey. I have always loved, church, the magnificence of that great Martin Luther hymn, uh, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Always loved that. And Paul, you should be up here right now because I'm going to try something. But, but as a child in church, Kathy, one verse always confused me. See if you remember it. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. Watch this. One little word shall fell him. And I always wondered, what's the little word? As a child, I figured it was a secret word, a short, magical <laughs> word that only God knew and only God could say it. And when God uttered it, everything evil would, would unravel and disintegrate and, and blow away, some magic word that only God knew. But it was much, much later, I realized that Luther didn't have a secret password in mind. He was thinking of the word made flesh. He was thinking of the baby Jesus. He was thinking of Christmas and Easter. One little word made flesh in the manger. One crucified son who got up out of the grave. Our God, arrayed against the darkness, who makes his home with us forever. We don't tremble in the darkness anymore because of that little word in the manger. Amen? So Grace City, in John's house, at John's Christmas table, just imagine, Paula asked us to imagine that night. Imagine yourself at the Apostle John's table. The old apostle leans forward and whispers to you and to me a truth that we should hold close. He holds up his still full glass and he proposes a toast. Hold up your glass with me this morning. Just go ahead. It's awkward, but everyone does it. It's no big deal. John says, a toast, Grace City Church, a toast online. Here's to our God, hold your glass, who refuses to watch our hardship from a safe distance. Here's to our God who climbs into the darkest places to be with us, to light a light alongside of us. Here's to Christmas, Grace City, and its unyielding solidarity with the one who made us. Drink up. Cheers. Here's to our God. That is what Christmas at John's house looks like. It's the light in the window. It's God with us. It's Emmanuel. It's life. It's light. It's word. It's a little word lying in a manger. Emmanuel, God with us. Heaven's assurance that darkness will not win. That's good news. As the worship team comes up, stay with me because I want to remind you of something as we, as we come to our next song, O Come All Ye Faithful. Grace City, the gloom of the world is but a shadow. It's but a shadow. Behind it, behind the darkness, yet within reach because of him in our lives, there is the light of the world. To see it, we only have to look. Here it is, 
from John the Apostle again at 90 years old. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Grace City, God is so generous a giver. God is so constant a companion. Grace upon grace. Everything we call a trial or a sorrow or a duty, believe me, church, God's hand is there. His gift is among us, the wonder of an overshadowing presence, the Word made flesh, wonder of wonders. Grace City, life is so full of meaning and beauty beneath the covering of heaven's wondrous gift at Christmas. Will you have the courage to claim it this Advent season, Jamon? Will you have the courage? Because with such courage and the knowledge that we are pilgrims together, beating the path through unknown country toward heaven, we hold the Word made flesh in our very hands, even as He holds us. So come, all ye faithful. Let's stand. Come, all ye faithful. And I would say this. Come ye of great faith. Come ye of little faith. Come if you wish you had faith this morning. Just come because he's here and he's got you. Amen? Let's sing it together. <laughs>